Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything, to question everything they read, everything they hear. Welcome to Question Culture with Brian and Lornette. This is a bi-weekly podcast where each episode, Lornette and I will be discussing and questioning conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. Question Culture can be found on all major platforms for podcasting, including Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Music. And you can also follow us on Twitter at QCulture, Q-U-E-C-U-L-T-U-R-E, and Facebook at QCulture1. There we highly encourage our listeners to ask us questions, start a civil debate, or provide topic discussions for future episodes. If you're interested in learning more, we also share links to the documentaries, articles, and books mentioned in each episode on our Facebook page. On today's episode, we'll be discussing climate change. How's it going, Larnette? Um, It's going good, Brian. And funny enough, this is the second podcast I've um, done this week. (laughs) Good. So you're you're all warmed up, ready to go? Ready yep. to uh, discuss the uh, extinction of the species? <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, yes. Let, let's continue to um, make a, make a splash and uh, piss people off and uh, <laughs> get people thinking. Also, yeah. So I think um, you know this is question culture. So we're, normally we're questioning conventional wisdom. Um, we're not really questioning climate change on this one. It's definitely happening. Uh, I think this is going to be more about questioning. Uh, solutions we're told and kind of root causes of what we're, you know, usually, you know, told about. Um, so I think to get it started, just for maybe and, the few... And, 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 oh. and also, just to, sorry to cut you off, Brian, I think also um, the, the question of conventional wisdom is kind of the the idea of, um, let's just kind of get off the bat, of saving the planet um, that a lot of environmentalists and folks in this movement, especially those, those from certain class backgrounds, believe um, you have r- everyday person that seems like an arduous task. Um, they can barely save, you know, money, <laughs> let alone save the entire planet. And as George Carlin once said, um, the planet is fine. The people are fucked. So the grand scheme of things is to the real challenge of climate change is not to save the planet. Um, the planet will be fine in the long run. It's to maintain the planet so that human beings and all the other animals and creatures that we need to survive um, and floral fauna. Uh, are still here so the human human race can be here long into the far future and maybe one day we'll we'll get to spaceships and stuff like on star trek but if we don't uh we'll be living more like mad max so i think george carlin was right we're not trying to save the planet the planet's fine it's been hit by asteroids and 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 all other crazy stuff so i don't think um us burning fossil fuels will completely destroy the planet but it will definitely destroy our ability to live comfortably on the planet. And there is no planet B. Yeah, exactly. For, was, for right now, we're stuck here. So Sorry, Elon Musk. You're not going to Mars anytime soon. <laughs> and if you did, it's a red frozen wasteland desert uh, with probably some microbes on there in the, underneath the soil. But that's probably it. So you can't grow potatoes was- there. Yeah, I always thought that was funny with like people who want to tra- travel to other planets and terraform because they're worried about us destroying the Earth. It's like, well, all those ideas, it would just be easier to 
protect you know our own environment on the earth than it's going to be to go to another planet and terraform it you know so yeah, yeah let's you, get this uh, like under control and under wraps before we start colonizing other planets and leaving our shit there and trash right, there <laughs> right right um all right so i guess let's start you know i i really hope by now and it does seem like the the tide's kind of turning um i think they're you know climate denial i think for the most part most people are on board um that the climate is changing and it is due to human behavior for any of the stragglers who might still be questioning it. Um, you know, let's just talk about, you know, what the problem is exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and while we're talking about, since we're on the topic of client, climate change denial, um, YouGov did a survey and found out that the United States of America has is a country, out of 28 countries they surveyed, it's the country with the highest share of climate change denials. Um also, and according to that, that same study, 6% of U.S. citizens, 6% is, is not bad, uh, say that climate change is not real. Uh, 9% said that global climate change, the global climate was changing, but not because of humans, which, you know, 6 and 9% are good. And that's just of that study. Um, but it should be zero, the, the science. <laughs> yeah, it should be everybody. <laughs> everybody should be like, climate change is real. And we are contributing to it due to the burning of greenhouse gases, uh, along with our other forms of pollution that we do. But uh, carbon emissions is the number one impact. Um, as a, a scientist far smarter than me said, we're putting dead plants and animals back into the atmosphere, the remains of them, and we're thus changing the chemistry of our atmosphere yet again. And if we change the chemistry of our atmosphere, it's going to have a chain reaction. And it's, it's, it's the laws of nature. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And I, I probably, I probably you know, butchering those terms. It's probably some science person listening. They're like, you got it all wrong, Lorna. This is the way you say it. So I, if I am, I apologize. And you can, you can leave some in the comments. But go ahead, Brian. Yeah, it was just, I always like... People who deny climate change, I just, you know, all right, forget you don't want to read the mountains evidence and scientific articles. Just think about when you drive your car, what do you think's coming out of that tailpipe when you put your garbage freedom. out on the street? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we went to the Middle East to get some freedom <laughs> over there and spread democracy, and there's democracy in your gas tank. Yeah, and then, like, when you put your garbage out on the street corner, like, it, it doesn't disappear. There's not a black hole we're throwing that. It doesn't, just because it leaves your house doesn't mean it's gone. You know, all the, and now what? times, and, and now times all, you know, yourself by seven, eight billion. That's that's going to have a big impact on the planet. And um, if you want, you know, I, I, um, I wouldn't say I enjoy it because it depresses the shit out of me, but I do like to read the climate reports. So on our Facebook page, I'm going to uh, share the link to where you can find UN climate reports that they put out every so often. Um, NASA also puts out climate reports. Um, so if you're looking for the mountains of evidence, you can check. Those are good places because they post articles. They go in detail about studies that are done um, and talk about every, you know, it's depressing. So make, make sure you do, you do it when you're in a good mood. Um, well, probably do it in a bad mood so you can get back into a good mood. But what is just throw more on that dumpster fire? Yeah, don't don't like, you know, we'll do a show on mental health in the future. Uh, <laughs> I am a social worker, so I am qualified to talk about that um the other shit we talk about i'm probably not qualified to talk about at all but i talk about it anyway because we're just two guys with a mic um yeah but, so I'll but say, what is the problem what is the problem brian so i mean the problem is uh everything is connected so if 
even the smallest changes on a mass level when you keep adding them up by 7, 8 billion make a huge difference. Um, so there's the obvious one of the CO2 problem. Um, CO2 emissions have risen by over 62% in the past 30 years. And that leads to other things like uh, the acidity of the ocean. And I actually say that might be one of the biggest ones. Um, the, the acidity in the ocean has risen by 30% um, in the last 150 years. So what that's basically doing is that's killing everything in the ocean. So coral reefs all over the planet are dying, um, all fish, all wildlife. And like I said, we're all connected. So you might not think, you know, that the ocean has anything to impa impact with you. But when the ocean acidity rises, that causes even more ice to melt, causes sea levels to rise. Um, I think it's 90% of the population lives around the coasts. Um, so that's going to cause mass migration um, on top of all the... Um, you know, crop failures it's going to cause, deserts are going to expand, um, more severe weather, as I'm sure we've all kind of experienced firsthand. That's why I'm kind of shocked when people are deny climate change, because like you, even I've noticed, I mean, I would say the change in the Midwest has been kind of tame, uh, but it's still noticeable. So I'm surprised anyone can live somewhere and not just see the thing, you know, things firsthand. Well, I currently, you know, I'm like you, I'm from Chicago, but uh, I live in the Southeast. And what I've noticed and just living out here for almost six years is the hurricane seasons are pretty intense. We are at, you know, we're at the Greek alphabet. And I believe her hurricane Delta is now, you know, impacting made landfall on Louisiana. So that Gulf Coast region, um, we saw that with Katrina in 2005, but this year, there have been so many, you know, tropical storms or hurricanes that they they ran out of letters, and they're using the Greek alphabet now. Um, so Jesus. hopefully <laughs> we won't get a different language. Yeah, so hopefully we won't get storms. to. Yeah, hopefully you know we won't get to a point where we have, you know, Hurricane Zeta. Uh, I think that's the Z <laughs> Z word in uh, the Greek alphabet happening, but it's definitely impacting the southeast, and that means in our in our summers are are hotter, if you can imagine that. Um, that creates the mosquito population increases. And I think after one of the, the first storms that hit Louisiana and the Gulf Coast this year, um, it left so much, you know, water, mosquitoes reproducing there. And it was just clouds of mosquitoes. And it was so bad that they were killing livestock. You know, if you ever seen a cow in person, it's a fucking huge animal. And the mosquito is pretty small. So just imagine how many mosquitoes it would take to kill just one cow but multiply that by hundreds of cows. So it's impacting, you know, our, our livestock, uh, people's livelihood. Um, the climate change is, 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 is real. Yeah. And I think if you run into someone who denies climate change, I think the most two most common things I see among that group is they confuse climate with weather. Sort of like, oh, it snowed a lot this winter. That means it's fine. You know, climate, climate is different than weather. Um, climate you know, uh, I don't know how to say like <laughs> how to um, weather is just the day to day activity. Climate is the actual bigger picture in the whole deal. Um, so even though it might be snowing, that doesn't mean that there's no climate change. Um, and then the other argument I hear all the time is, well, the Earth's temperature was always changing. It used to be way warmer, so it's fine. And that is true. The Earth's, for many different reasons, the Earth's climate changes temperature, but it's the rate of change that's the problem. And if you look at the data, it is the rate of change is way, way faster than ever before in human history, in Earth's history. 
And the problem with that is when the climate changes slowly, animals and species have a chance to evolve and change to match the climate. If it goes too fast, they don't change they, or evolve, they just die. So it's the rate of change that's the issue. Yeah, and, and what people need to understand, and I, and I, I do, do blame this on our you know, educational system as far as like science. The way, we, the way we teach science, the way we understand science, people gloss over when they hear that word. And, you know, and even um, listening to Carl Sagan's The Cosmos, there's still scientists to this day who are really, really, they want to keep the knowledge amongst the scientific community and not share with the larger public. And in fact, Carl Sagan himself, um, the famous astronomer, um, if you don't know who he is, I would, I would recommend our listeners check him out because he's a pretty, pretty nifty dude ahead of his time, not just when it comes to science, but politics, religion, lots of things. But very, very smart individual. It was a mentor of sort to Neil deGrasse Tyson, the uh, famous um, black astrophysicist. Um, but he he talked about the fact that the matter is, and I, I, I was going somewhere with the point about Carl Sagan, but I totally forget where I was going with that. <laughs> Carl Sagan's awesome. That's, that's the moral of the story. Well, yeah, but I, 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 I guess, yeah, I, I guess with, with that um, being said, it's like, you know, us being all connected. But what I was and getting that, at is the, I'm oh, sorry, I, I really remember my point. I was getting to the point of this, he was, ex, he was almost, you know, became a leper for like popularizing science to reach the masses and explaining very complex mathematics and theories and ideas to the general public and in a more informed general public especially when it comes to science the more informed we can make decisions about um things that will impact us so whether you like it or not climate change is happening but because we have kind of we teach science and we don't really explain it the way that people can understand it, it becomes some remote thing and some faraway thing that some guy or gal in a in a lab coat is doing and it doesn't affect my day-to-day life but but it does so even the technology you use your cell phone that that's a product of science so it's it's in every single aspect of your life it's some it's connected to science and history and all the things that humans do so it's very important that i, I blame our education system for folks basically being like, we'll give equal credence to these climate change denials, deniers the same way we will to real science and real scientists. And even the scientists who, the small percentage who do claim that climate change isn't caused by humans, if you follow the money, because my wife always says that, they're probably paid by Shell, Exxon, or BP <laughs> to like fudge the numbers and like make, make it good. Because they did the same thing with smoking decades ago in this country. Smoking was science. And then, you know. Exactly. And you name the exact companies that are majority uh, responsible for kind of climate denial. Um, fossil fuel companies are funding politicians to be, and media corporations as well. Um, the, the mainstream media almost never uh, covers climate change. Um, I think it was I'm trying to remember what the exact stats were, but it was it was something like over the past. Um, I think it was the past like. Oh, I think they. I read a study in 2019. They studied how much major media corporations mentioned climate change, and it was a total, on average, of four hours a year. Four hours they spent on climate change, and I'm pretty just, sure they spent like thousands of hours covering Donald Trump having COVID virus, the coronavirus. 
Oh, exactly. They like they like showed you know Trump's empty podium longer than they discussed climate change. Oh yeah. Um, and and let's talk about that because you know the COVID nineteen pandemic is really unprecedented, and the fact that we haven't dealt with something like this since the Spanish flu of um, 19, uh, eight, 1918. and I think how it connects to climate change is not only is we have rising sea temperatures, climate refugees. But has humans, you know, encroach more on um, wildlife habitat and live closer to, you know, animals? Diseases spread. They don't care. They all they they looking for hosts. They don't care if you're a rich, poor, black, white cow or a human being. They're going to spread to like you know to survive. And pandemics might not be so rare as they are now. With climate change, they'll be they'll become the norm instead of the outliner. And who wants to live in a society where every you know year you have a pandemic or every few years you have a pandemic? We can't make vaccines that fast and we can't evolve that fast. So um, you're talking the impacts of climate change. I don't think people understand. It's not just like things will get hotter and, you know, you can go to the beach in Wisconsin in the middle of July. I mean, in the middle of December. It's not that, you know, it's like, oh, it's going to be great. We can go to the beach all year long. Like. No, it, 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 it's it's far more deeper. It's far deeper than that. You explained that perfectly when we discussed this before, where climate change is going to be uh, death by a thousand cuts. Um, so, that, you know, there's not going to be some major event, you know, an asteroid hitting everything. It's not going to be one big blow like that. It's going to be a bunch of little things. Pandemics are part of part of it. Like you said, living in closer proxi- proximity to animals, interacting with humans more leads to more pandemics. Um, malaria and other deadly diseases from more ski- mosquitoes and insects from warmer weather, that's going to spread. Um, floodings, fires, you know, like in California, a bunch of people got killed. And so and that's directly related to climate change. So there's not going to be this one big event. It's just going to be a bunch of small you know, seeing, I mean, it's not and small of the people it's happening to. But. Yeah, and then not to mention the fact of how as it goes, we're going to be, it's going to be the weather patterns are going to change, ocean current systems that we rely on to bring rain or snow or, or relief to certain regions of the world, especially if you talk about the, the, the Midwest of this country. It's kind of the breadbasket of the United States. And, and I'm pretty sure we export a lot of those grains to other parts of the world. So just imagine places where, you know, not just the United States, but across the globe where they do agriculture and they plant the food that people can eat. The weather patterns change. That means that the crops will change or the crops won't survive. Either it will get too cold or too hot, too rainy. We had the crazy derecho in Iowa that happened this summer that, you know, caused mass flooding. We had wildfires in Australia and California and the the U.S., um, entire west coast was basically and that smoke and smog that created that you know it, it's traveled all the way to chicago was, new york yeah it was in chicago the sun when that was going on the sun looked red and you could look right at it there was so much like smog basically in the air from the fires all the way out west yeah so that's that big that that's insane just like we saw the pictures earlier this year in australia climate change isn't some far off thing it's it's happening now and unfortunately we have a you know, president of the United States who is, you know, a, the biggest climate denial right now and the politicians that also work with him. But if we want to be honest, it's a reason why that is. And I think that can go into the elephant in the room, our current economic system. 
Capitalism. Yeah, and that's the that's the item you'll never ever hear mentioned on the news. Um, is that our economic system itself is anti-environment. It, 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 it does not prioritize environmental stewardship in any way. Um, so, well, it, you know, it really, say what you will. It, it does, but it, it does it in a greenwashing way that will tell you, like, all you have to do is stop using straws and use a wooden toothbrush, you individual person, and then you can it, and bring and bring your bag to the grocery store. Don't use paper or plastic. Um, and then, you know, you and drive a hybrid and you solve climate change and you're like, yay, and like recycle. And, and, and I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. Um, actually, there's a research showing that the, the, pla- the, the reusable bags take more energy to create than just using plastic bags. So I don't know if that was funded by the plastic industry. Could have been. <laughs> but but, you know, those but, paper bags do come somewhere. But this is the thing. Um, and then I'll let you get to your point. Um, I wanted to say this. When we try to make it the individuals who can change things, the individuals do have power, but there are individual corporations that are ran by a conglomerate of individuals who have a lot of power, a lot of sway, a lot of money to influence politicians, not just in the United States, but across the world. And, uh, you know, a report came out in The Guardian this year that just 100 companies have been the source of more than 70% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions since 1988. So since I was five years old. Yeah, and it and they're paying and there are these corporations that caught co- these cor- corporations that are causing it are also the same corporations that are funding um, the politicians to not say anything, funding media companies to not say anything. Think tanks. And, and yeah, exactly. And they know um, there's a study that I'll share from The Guardian that shows it was during a lawsuit that they had internal that Shell had con- conducted internal s- uh, studies back in the 1980s. And showed that climate change was real and how dangerous it was going to be. And it actually even goes back to the 1950s that fossil fuel companies were had internal documents showing they had studied and were aware of how bad this was going to get. But, of course, under capitalism, profit trumps all else. Got to get the, the numbers up for the next quarter. So the, really that's – when we say capitalism, you know, is anti-environment, that's what we're talking about is under capitalism – for all companies, the sole motive is profit. So if your business can help the environment, that's great. But that's a side that's a side issue. Really, you have to get the profit, and then whether you know it's environmental friendly or not is is you know a side product. And that and that's even happening with oil companies. Rather than properly disposing of their waste, they just wreck everything and then pay the lawsuits afterwards because it's cheaper for them to just pay everybody off afterwards than actually doing the right thing in the first place. Yeah, that study, uh, the article, and I'll link that to our uh, sources, is one of the quotes from it is, the barrier is the absolute tension between short-term profitability and the urgent need to reduce carbon emissions. So it's all about, like, profits. And, and there's a go, go ahead. ahead. No, there's a great quote by I believe the uh, Cree Cree Nation, the Native American um, nation, and they say after the last tree has been cut down, after the last river has been poisoned, after the last fish has been caught, only then will you find that money cannot be eaten. And I think that's a pretty powerful quote because that's kind of the trajectory we're going on if we maintain business as usual. Is that, you know, short term gains and profits for a few very wealthy individuals and corporations 
and the entire world would suffer because if you think about climate change and we talk about, you know, flooding coastlines where most of humans cities are built and 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 island nations where people live on those are places we find themselves underwater even a city like Miami um, those destroy economies they also lead to mass migration and if you have mass migration you have obviously xenophobia and other human you know conflicts that that arise and then you have the point where people will be fighting over crops people will be fighting over fresh water and you lead the chain reaction to lots of civil wars going on in countries or mass migrations creating xenophobia and rises in the rise of fascist right-wing dictators basically blaming all the problems of that country on these migrants who moved here because there's even um, some evidence that supports the current conflict in syria is really being driven by climate change. Yep, I read about that. Um, yeah, if if people think the wars of the past, I mean, past wars, humans have been able to properly, you know, ever since the industrial revolution, scarcity has really been fake. It hasn't been real. We've been able, we've have enough resources to provide for everyone. Wait till the wars when these resources aren't available and there's going to be actual water wars like that. The effect on human culture is just going to be just horrifying. Um, yeah, because people don't realize that like only three percent of the world's water is fresh water. We have no process yet. Uh, the technology isn't here to, you know, desalinate salt water. And even if we did think about kind of what will happen with the waste and that'll just create another problem. So it's not like technology will completely save us. Technology can be an aid, but it's basically about changing the way of, way, our way of life. But I think also that, say, we need to change the way of, way of life. Obviously, yes, we can make in different individual uh, contributions to reduce our carbon footprint. However, we still need to put onus on these companies, this, these few hundred companies that are responsible for 70% of carbon emissions in our in our in our world right now they they bear the brunt those individuals in those companies who make millions of dollars for their short-term profit um i i I, you know heard in democracy now a few months ago that they have oil tankers due to the covid pandemic Uh, people aren't traveling people aren't driving as much as they you know when business was as usual so now that the oil tankers all along the coast of different every continent on earth because they have nowhere to take this oil. So they're still pumping oil. And what's even more sinister is that nations, governments are subsidizing those companies right now because they're not turning a profit. So just know right now your tax dollars that, you know, you, your hard earned tax dollars are going to fucking prop up Shell, BP, ExxonMobil, Chevron. And these companies are worth, you know, billions and billions of dollars. And, you probably make an annual salary if you're middle class of sixty thousand a year. If you're working class, if you're lucky, you might make forty five thousand a year. And your tax dollars are going to prop these assholes up. And I'll say it those assholes. Because they're looking at short term gain versus the long term. And we allow them to do that. We need to like be hard on these companies and we need to be hard on our politicians for letting these these uh corporations get away with this bullshit. And tonight will be a presidential well vice presidential debate. And I highly doubt they'll spend any really serious time talking about climate change in any real way. 
Yeah, because they're they're bought off by these corporations. And kind of to what I wanted to bring up as far as with capitalism, along with just being that they're profit over the environment, there's we're going to have to, if the human race is going to survive, we're going to have to start figuring out different ways to interact with each other in our environment. Because just not only the profit motive, if you think about capitalism, it's based on consumption. Like we noticed with COVID, the reason COVID was horrible for the economy because it slowed human consumption. So all of a sudden, pe- people weren't going out as much, they weren't going to concerts, weren't going to different places, and so there was less consumption, and it wrecked the economy. Well, less consumption is good. We need less consumption. We're consuming too much for what our planet can handle, at least in the way we're set up now. So that's kind of a fundamental issue. Another fundamental issue with capitalism and the environment is endless growth. Anyone that works for a company knows they're constantly trying to get the percent of sales up each quarter over quarter. You got to keep keep growing, keep growing. The problem is we live on a finite planet. And it was fine 500 years ago when there was only a billion people on the planet. The earth can sustain that. But now we're just we keep growing and growing. We live on a finite planet. There's nowhere else to go if we need to reduce the you know not only the amount that we're consuming but the amount we're growing even as a species. Um I know you wanted to discuss about that, but that that brings us to uh, Lornette. I know you wanted to discuss this was the the population of how many people on are on the planet, um, and I think I, we. I thought that was going to be in our solutions solutions part. Oh, okay, all right, yeah, let's leave it for that. Yeah, then. we can we can we can hold off on that and kind of getting back to capitalism and 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 growth. Another thing that we don't talk about, and another thing that's not even brought up with climate change, unless you're Liz Warren and you want to. Make the military greener. Because <laughs> that was one of her many plans. So let's talk about the military, and in particular the United States military and the U.S. Department of Defense. So there's studies showing that the U.S. Department of Defense is both the United States and the world's largest polluter. Yeah, the what I read, the Pentagon is the world's single greatest institutional consumer of fossil fuels. Bingo. And in many ways, it's even more exempt from reporting its um, uh, consumption compared to other businesses. So it's probably even worse than what we're aware of. Yeah. So it's like they're producing more hazardous waste than all the five largest U.S. chemical companies combined. The Department of Defense is letting um, leaving this toxic legacy throughout the world from the form of depleted uranium, oil, jet fuel, pesticides, defoliants like Agent Orange, which was used very liberally during the Vietnam era. And to see how bad that is, is I have a, a friend of ours, a friend of my wife and ours, um, a couple, the uh, woman in the couple, um, I won't say her name to respect privacy. She has a father who is a Vietnam veteran, and he was exposed to Agent Orange. And that affects people at the genetic level. So when she was conceived, the heart issues that the, the health problems, some of the health problems he had transferred over to his to his daughter so she has heart issues and she's one of the people during this covid pandemic who is you know uh, immunocompromised and that's just kind of has we destroyed that nation of vietnam during the vietnam war by dropping all type of chemical bombs on them it it's, it's a very single serious thing that's why the u.n basically banned chemical warfare because they have long-term effects the the atom bombs we dropped or the atomic bombs we dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima uh, decades ago during World War II. For decades, 
individuals in those in that region were still having birth defects, deformities, high rates of cancer. Uh, we had specific Pacific islands that we did nuclear bomb testing on. You know, from the fallout of those bomb tests, countries like Guam and other Pacific island nations, people are still having high rates of cancer and things of that nature. So the U.S. military and, and as a former um, sailor, I can attest to the fact that we used to dump all type of things in the middle of the ocean because it's just like it's our garbage can. So we'll just dump it there. <laughs> and it was irresponsible and it, it was wrong. But it just it's so much consumption that we had stuff to we had money to burn and fuel to waste. So we just did it for shits and giggles. And I mean, just think about how big those aircraft carriers are. They are cities onto themselves and the fuel to move them around. Um, I was reading in one article that the fuel consumption for the military just for transportation alone is over three times as much as all the transport, all the other transportation in the country. Yeah. Just to keep, you know, all these military bases moving around. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad because, you know, I think about it and, you know, I understand the need for, you know, a military army and, you know, protect, you know, your nation, state, whatever. You know, that's how our human society is set up. We always had war. We probably won't get rid of war unless we get rid of every human being. However, the problem is in this country, especially since, you know, the the military industrial complex, which Eisenhower warned about um, back in the 1950s, just like Lyndon Johnson mentioned climate change and one of his state of the unions back in the 60s. So this stuff is, you know, long, long been going on. So 70, 70, 80 years that people have been thinking about this and talking about this these topics and they're interconnected because we only spend this much money on the military because we have bases all across the globe and it's all to protect corporate interests as uh, the gentleman said war is a racket the the former general in the 1930s what was his name again brian uh doc or uh, general schmedley butler (laughs) (laughs) and everyone should read his book uh, war is a racket uh it's I mean, one, it's it's good to hear it straight from, you know, when I read about war, I like to hear what veterans have to say. Um, so and it's also, you know, nice when a veteran can speak honestly about the things that happened. Um, there's also another podcast I highly recommend called Eyes Left, which is two former veterans kind of talking about all things military. Um, also very awesome podcast. Just like to shout out. Um, shout out to them. Yeah. And, and, and has has someone who served. You know, I witnessed firsthand kind of the has we has the Navy, the U.S. Navy treats the the world's oceans has this trash can. Yeah, that's really I mean, the whole human species has been doing that for a while. Like we think like, oh, someone just takes our garbage away and really we've just been throwing it in the ocean. And the, the earth is big, um, but there's a lot of us now and it's not that big. Um, and speaking of which, you know, we covered major kind of energy corporations are a lot of the you know they make up for 70 percent the pentagon uh, military is another one and the other big one and i know a lot of people are going to hate to say for me to say this but the animal uh, animal agriculture industry is one of the biggest uh, uh contributors to climate change so you know i'm not saying everyone has to go vegan tomorrow to save us um but you should definitely look at your consumption of meat um and it's really absolutely wrecking the planet and again, I'm not saying you have to go vegan, um, but we, we all need to make small changes to help save ourselves. Um, so like I used to eat meat every single meal, every single day. 
I've cut back where now I only eat meat a couple times a month. And if we all did that, it would make a huge impact. Um, because I don't know if people think about this, but on average over the past decade the, on the earth, we kill 100 billion land animals a year. So if you think, you know, 7 billion humans is a lot, 100 billion animals that are eating things, shitting and pissing, releasing methane to the atmosphere are getting turned over each year. Um, in the U.S. alone, we kill 10 billion land animals, mm -hmm. and those animals produce three times as much waste as the U.S. citizens. Um, and then if you also just think about the things that it takes to keep these animals alive, the main reason the Amazon, which the Amazon is the lungs of our planet, um, produces more oxygen than any other place, um, the main reason the Amazon's getting torn down is for grazing land for cattle. Um, it also accounts for a huge chunk of our energy consumption is all the production going into feeding these animals. And um, if you think about it, it takes, if you eat a burger, it, it takes way more feed, way more plants to feed that cow for you to then eat rather than just eating the crops directly. Um, so I'm really not, you know, I'm not trying to be a crazy vegan trying to force everyone to into a certain diet, but your diet does have an impact on the earth. And Honestly, it's rather unnatural to eat meat as much as we do. I mean, back in the day, you know, 1800s, 1700s, people had a farm. They wouldn't be killing a cow and a chicken every single day, every single meal. They would have it for special occasions and things like that. So not only, you know, I highly recommend there's a book, A Diet for New America. It does have personal health consequences, but even if you don't care about that, um, it's uh, impact on the environment can't be understated. So yeah, and, we and all... you could do simple things like try a meatless Monday, or you know uh, have a meal that doesn't have um, any meat in it. And that's you know something I, I challenge myself to do. And you know I'm not perfect at it, but um, definitely something we can work on and, and something to think about. And yeah, and neither am I. And and that's why I hate when I I know a few vegans where just like any time someone eats meat or cheese, they're just on their case, you know. And one, I don't think that's a good way to go about changing minds. But it's not, you know, you don't have to do that. Just small changes, like you say, meatless Mondays. Um, there's a lot of good Beyond Burgers are on most grocery stores now, and I I swear because I I don't I wouldn't lie about this. They do taste just like regular burgers. There's a lot of vegetarian. I don't know the bacon sometimes vegan bacon's <laughs> questionable um but they make burgers and like uh, other ground meat that tastes exactly like the real thing um so just eat one of those instead of a burger you know just any little small change we can do uh will add what will add up in the end and for the capitalists who are listening to our call you can use your dollar to support companies that do sustainable humane farming practices um so my my wife likes this springer chicken in georgia and they uh, have sustainable farming, so their chickens are outdoors. Um, you know, they have long, healthy lives, and we don't have giant mutant chicken breasts every night because they're not pumped with antibiotics. But you know, they're they're normal sized chicken breasts. The chicken is pretty good, always pretty fresh, and it's a local farm right here in Georgia. And if you can support companies like that, I'm sorry to say this to some of the the hipsters who might be listening, that won't be uh, Whole Foods anymore because they've been bought out by. The devil himself, right. Jeff Bezos. Amazon, the great Satan. <laughs> yes, the great Satan. Amazon is so pervasive, Brian. There are certain items you can't buy from the company itself if you want to get it. You have to get it through Amazon. Like I was looking for a certain hair product I use. And I went to the sites of those companies and they like all, every time I clicked on the link to order, 
It all sent me back to Amazon. So that's a, that that should be a topic in the, in the future. Just the I found that when I was looking for books too. There were so many things because I always try and Amazon's like my last option. Like if I can't find that, and there were so many books where they, even if you like went to the author's like website, it would just send you to a link to Amazon. So you're right, it is pervasive. Yeah. But you made a good good point about going to companies that are sustainable. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the Dust Bowl in the 1920s, that wasn't some environmental thing. That was because we had not been farming sustainably. Um, and then luckily in the 20s, FDR, um, or in the 30s, the 30s then, yeah. Um, yeah, promoted things with more sustainable farming, and it went away. So, yeah, uh, finding companies that sustainably do things is huge. Yeah, so you can, you can talk with your with your dollars, and and then even how we, as we travel, and... And I and I think one of the this when I was getting back to the military industrial complex and kind of how it's, it's a big polluter and how we spend so many billions of dollars across the globe, um, but definitely the United States, um, the the ring leader on you know military. The military is like death and destruction, and it's all about you know expanding markets for you know the the major corporations, and I just think like we could use that re- those resources. You know, I, somebody said that the the average um, defense budget for the United States is about seven hundred billion dollars. Uh, another person quoted that that's just what we know about. It could be all the way up to a hundred, I mean nine hundred billion dollars, or even a trillion dollars. We we just really don't have all the numbers because, as Brian mentioned earlier, they don't really share everything because things are classified. You know how they are classified. We're not talking <laughs> well, about you that. read a. You read about how the Pentagon did an audit of itself and found twenty trillion dollars unaccounted for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these rep- the, and it's and like I said, and I'll say this time and time again: this isn't to like crap on the, the men and women and people who serve in our armed forces, anything like that. Uh, many of them are, you know, doing their job because it's like any job you do, um, and many take pride in that, and that's fine. The problem is this: the problem is. This money, this resources are going to weapons contractors, and they'll have like a jet that doesn't fucking fly real right, like the what the F F eighteen, I believe. Is the F eighteen or F thirty five? But yeah, basically they've pumped like a trillion dollars into it, and it's still a piece of shit. In, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's just like, and and the only reason they won't kill the program is because a part is made in this state, so this representative keeps voting for it. Another representative in another state keeps voting for it. A senator keeps voting for it. So it's all about grease and palms and keeping the bullshit up. And I say, I'm one of the people that we need to hold these companies accountable. And when people are like, we can't hold a company accountable. Yes, we can. Who are they accountable to? They're not accountable to a single nation state. So they should be accountable to the people. You know why? Because these companies are not faceless entities. They are run by individuals, people who have to live in our society. So we got to bring the heat to them. Yeah, and that can be anything from researching the politicians that you're going to vote for to make sure they're not taking corporate money from these companies to direct actions, um, protesting at the places where the heads of these companies live. Um, you know, or if you're really ready to while out, um, you can start. You know, I mean, you'll get in trouble, but there's people out there destroying pipelines and uh, you know doing what's got to be done. I mean, it's ugly shit sometimes, and you know you'll definitely get in trouble, but you know, it's up to you how dedicated to the cause you want to be. I know a lot of like in the animal agriculture, they're causing, um, they're getting politicians to pass bills, ag-ag laws as they're called, 
where if you even record what's going on as a, in a factory farm, you're getting charged as a terrorist. So they're aware that people aren't liking what they're doing, and they're doing everything, everything they can to keep everything hidden from the public. Exactly. Um, and if you're a worker at one of these major corporations, the best way to make to hold them accountable is to fucking unionize. Exactly. And unionize some of these nonprofits, and- because my, my wife always laughs at the U.S. environmentalists who are like, we just have to drive... All drive hybrid cars and, and, and take our bags to the grocery store. In other countries, environmentalists and labor organizers are being assassinated. It's dangerous work in, 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 the, rest of the, in the rest of the world. It's, and, and for the indigenous people in this country. So shout out to them. And I know, Brian, you're going to talk a little bit more about that. And, and, and just a misnomer, neither one of us are indigenous peoples. Um, but the earth justice movement in this country was a movement started by indigenous people and, and black people, so black and brown. And it wasn't because, it was, you know, appreciation for the land and, and, and the earth, but it's also about survival because those cultures understood, like, sustainability and also folks fighting for living wages and dignity and safe work conditions and also wanting to have their own communities be safe and chemical-free. And I remember, this is a story I haven't shared with many people, but I grew up on 132nd Indiana in Chicago. And in that region area, Argyll Gardens, it used to be called Eden Green, Dalton Riverdale, which is like south suburbs, but extensions of Chicago. That area has a, a shit ton of waste plants and chemical um, plants there. Um, the Chicago water treatment plant is that way. In the summertime, we would smell like, it smelled like sewage driving on 100 and um, driving 1994 going towards, um, South, going towards 111, 130th Street, going towards Indiana. And when I was in high school, no, yeah, I think uh, high school, probably a freshman, and there was a chemical spill, and we had to, like, evacuate the neighborhood. My grandmother came early in the morning. She's like, we got to get the heck out of here. And she had the van, and she loaded the whole family, and we spent the day at the Lake Michigan, which was a fun day for me because I didn't have to go to school. But, <laughs> and, you know, when I was in college, I got a $3 check from that company. For the chemical spill. Because <laughs> I'm assuming there was a class action lawsuit and they had to pay so many millions, but they it was probably pennies to what they the damage they caused. And who knows, like it, it's an, another thing, and Bernie tried to bring this up during the debates and he was cut off because he's like, We have to talk about racism, Bernie. And he was linking environmental racism to racism in America because it all ties back um, in this country to to race and class. And unfortunately, People, communities of color are near, you know, water treatment plants, waste dumps um, in the southwest. A lot of the, Navo, the Native American reservations, they are near um, areas where the military has stored depleted uranium from nuclear tests. So people there in those regions risk cancer and other diseases because of the toxic pollution they live next to. And I was one of those people. Yeah, and that's done on purpose. They put these things in poor communities because it's harder for the poor communities to fight back. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the pipeline where Standing Rock happened, that was originally supposed to go through white, mostly white suburbs. Um, but, you know, the citizens, obviously, for obvious reasons, are like, fuck no. And then they're like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll build it through the Native American communities. Um, and kind of what you said, too, about that $3 that you got um, – 
they always that's what I bring it back to what I mentioned before is it's much cheaper for them and that's all I care about is the profit so it's cheaper for them to not do it right and then to just pay people off afterwards um, I'm going to share a link there's a, a show I highly recommend on YouTube called Empire Files uh, created by Abby Martin and she has a documentary on there um, about what Texaco and Chevron did in the Amazon in Ecuador and Basically, you know, the they got the government agreed that they could go into the Amazon to extract oil. Long story short, they just didn't give a shit about the environmental impact at all. Completely wrecked the the area. The rainforest was destroyed. The um, tons of people got cancer and everything. And they were just like, and they're still, and the company's still just fighting legal battles. And they've had to pay out some money, but it's not that much. You know, it's not you know not as much as doing the right thing in the first place. So, you know, it's kind of just, you know, kill everything and then we'll pay people off later. Yeah. And, and, and even, you know, I know many Americans have this imagination that Canada is this pristine place and everybody there is so nice, don't you know? But Canada, like they have this, the, the uh, tar sands. Is that what they call them? Yep. Yeah. They, 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 uh, Canada is the leading producer of um, fossil fuels and they've clear cut it. Many of their rain, their forest and natural habitats for oil extraction and i'm sure we're looking at the arctic and you know i, I currently work for the sierra club and that's a misnomer as we say none of these views and opinions expressed on this podcast are a reflection of my employer but what is what is true is well, i had some colleagues who testified in congress veterans um in the need to protect the wildlife artich refuge wildlife refuge Arctic Refuge, apologize. But um, it's kind of like we have to get back to a balance. And I think that's like a, we can go into solutions is finding that balance. Um, obviously, you know, we can't completely change how we live. We have the civilization as it is. But we can do things to be more sustainable, hold companies accountable. And, you know, tax the hell out of them because they're not paying taxes right now, as we all know from Donald Trump. And if you're mad about Donald Trump not paying taxes, some of you liberals, you should be really pissed off about all these companies we're talking about. I'm pretty sure they pay penny, pennies in taxes to their respective nations they're living in or probably have some shell company in, in Switzerland or the Cayman Islands that like you know helps them avoid taxes because they have a lot of amoral lawyers, lawyers <laughs> working with the amoral business people to make as much money as possible because that's how our system works. Even if you're a libertarian, um, ruthless capitalism you believe in, then the, these oil companies are getting crazy subsidies from the government. They're not surviving on their own. The people are ready to move away from them, but they're getting subsidized by the government. So even if you are a ruthless capitalist, uh, you know, these companies are screwing us. They're not operating, you know, uh, based on the normal supply and demand. Yeah, Nobody they're wants getting this fucking shit anymore. handouts. I know you libertarians hate that and you Republicans. They're getting government, government handouts. I know you're like, get government out my, get government <laughs> out my life. These companies are getting handouts. They're getting, they're getting welfare. You should be enraged. You should be at the fucking senator's doorstep right now being like, what the fuck is this? So just know, and I, I talked about it earlier. We got oil tankers hanging out the coast of every continent in this country, I mean, in this world. Because oil production is down because thanks due to coronavirus, people are not traveling. People are not consuming, like Brian said earlier, like they used to. So right now we are subsidizing BP, Shell, Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, Chevron. So it's it's quite ridiculous. We are 
we're subsidizing major multinational corporations and those assholes have enough money to you know hang out and if their company falls they love the free market so much only free market for every me and you brian but never free market for these corporations and these people who run these corporations they always get subsidies from the government hell we can't even get a stimulus bill passed or even another round of twelve hundred dollar checks while people 30 million people are unemployed in this country alone let alone the global impact of the covid coronavirus crisis so people should be enraged and if you're not you're not paying attention so you know as we do in this podcast i where we talk about things that are upsetting about the world, but we always want to provide solutions. Um, so I know I have a few, but I know you wanted to touch, Lornette, on the uh, reducing the population. Um, if we lived in a better society where we were environmentally conscious, the number of people on the planet wouldn't be a problem, but living the way that we do, it most certainly is. Um, but when you talk about reducing population, it automatically like turns into like an Alex Jones, like they're going to put us in FEMA camps and kill people, you know? So It becomes what, eugenics. <laughs> Exactly. So, but how can we reduce the population without being a genocidal dictator? Yeah. So you don't have to go. Um, you don't have to go Hitler, or Mussolini, or for those people out there who, the liberals who are like, it's Trump is a fascist. But also, when he got COVID, get well soon. <laughs> God, that was so. Funny. I know. Just like uh, if he's a, if he's a fascist and Mother Nature decides to take him out, you know, that's all I'm yeah. gonna say. Uh, I don't want. That. I hope Hitler doesn't get a cold. I know. <laughs> But there, and, and I know, you know, the history of the environmental movement in this country, especially the white environmental movement, have been, um, unfortunately, some folks who were sliding into eugenics really quickly. However, there is a much more humane and smart way and, and, and just way to balance the population. So it's not saying that people should never have children. People shouldn't reproduce. Obviously, that's how we keep the species going. However, one simple thing, and the environmentalists never talk about this. They talk about like wind turbines and, you know, fuel efficient cars and hybrid cars and recyclable bags and things of that nature. But globally, we need to advocate for reproductive rights for women. We need to be advocating for education for women and girls across the globe, because as the women of a a nation become more educated and more economically independent, they have less children. So and, you and that's born out, yeah. that's born out statistically. Um, countries that have higher rates of formal education, the birth rate goes down in correlation. Yes. So it's a very humane and just way. So you're you're reducing people's carbon footprint, and you're also uplifting half the species on this planet, which are are, the, are women, or or those who identify as women. So just to be equitable, um, but yeah, that's that's the that's the way to go. That's how you. That's what we should be doing. And environmentalists never ever kind of talk about this. And when you and I brought this up one time on a on a Sierra Club outing, and you know there was a guy and a woman who like kind of laughed at me like, "Oh, you expect people in Afghanistan to to uh, <laughs> give women and girls equal rights?" And I'm like, the shit takes time and hard work. And it's not it's not about like respecting people's cultures. There's some fucked up things that people in cultures do. There's fucked up things that we do in America, like the death penalty. I don't care if you know there's it's a serial killer or a serial rapist. I'm like the easy dying is the easy way out. Let them sit and let them let them sit 
and think of think about like what they've done. You know, you're you're becoming no better than them if you if you kill them. So that's barbaric. Female mutal female mutal mutal female. I'm not mutilation. Mutilation. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. I'm going off. I'm not pronouncing words right tonight. But <laughs> that's kind of barbaric, and and probably well, it's traumatic to the women who experience that. So it's not about like being cultural competency. There's some things in cultures that you know we could be we should criticize because we're all human beings. We're all part of the human race, whether you like to admit that or not. Uh, to the Trump supporters out there, um, <laughs> well, I mean, I that's condescending. <laughs> that's condescending. That Afghanistan. <laughs> some of them, most condes- of them are though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, Candace Owens is a racist. Uh, She's just an idiot. <laughs> it's condescending to people in Afghanistan, though, because in the Middle East, women actually had a lot more rights than in Western cultures in the 1940s and 50s. But then after we started bombing them for their resources, then religious zealots took over, and then it was more oppressive to women. So it's kind of tied to that. It's not that they're naturally more against women's rights you know well i guess it just um, makes feel it make westerners feel morally superior like oh look how we treat, right look how we treat women it's like we kind of don't because you know domestic violence rates in this country is pretty pretty terrible oh yeah the, the patriarchy is and then yeah. if you look at like ch- childbirth and when it comes to like breakdown by race you know black women are equivalent to like the developing world as far as like dying at childbirth um, for many reasons, but that's unacceptable for a so-called first world developed richest country on earth. So I, I think Carl Sagan said, we can change things. It's just, we do, we have the will to, and it's time to have the will to change those things. But, uh, Brian, you also had yeah. some solutions that you want to talk about some, some movements and actions that um, people can get involved with and that you've been involved with over the uh, last few years, but go ahead. Yeah. So you mentioned just real quick before I get to that, we have the so you mentioned peaceful, peaceful and moral ways to reduce the population. Um, We discussed changing your eating habits. Um, I think boycotting and divesting is huge for environmental things. So when there's a company that's, you know, there's some things we can't avoid for right now, buying gas or, you know, filling up your electric car, which comes from fossil fuels as well. Um, we're kind of stuck with those things, but you can make, you know, little changes uh, to just not spend money on corporations that are destroying the environment so much. Or buy a um, fuel local, efficient car. Localize. Uh, so start your own gardens. So you're not going to the grocery store as much. Um, get community gardens uh, going. So all that, you know, kind of localizing and buy things closer. I mean, it's insane to sometimes like something will be produced in South America, then shipped to China and then shipped back to the United States to arrive at your doorstep. So it's just insane. The the resources are wasted on that. Um, but the um, and also uh, follow native peoples, um, indigenous people in this country um, have been on the forefront of fighting for environmental rights because in their culture, they understand they've always known our connection to nature and how important it is. Um, the kind of Western society that we have is just take everything you want and fuck, you know, fuck everything else, destroy everything else. So their culture has definitely always been more in tune uh, with nature. So follow their lead. Uh, things like Standing Rock are a good example, which I would love to do an episode on in and of itself eventually. Um, but what I really want to discuss, uh, a, a group that you can join that uh, my brother and myself have joined and been active in. Um, we were really starting to get going, but then COVID kind of shut things down for a little bit. But um, Extinction Rebellion, 
Um, I will share a post to the link to their website um, on our Facebook page. Um, it is an international group started in the UK, but now has chapters in every major city in the US and across the world. Um, and you can go to their website, but really they have, uh, similar to the Black Panther Party, they have a 10-point program for demands that they want from uh, society, from the globe. Um, and then they also have um, kind of guidelines for practices. Um, so they want, you know, the, the, the profits from green energy to go to the people, the poor people most affected by climate change. Uh, they have realistic demands, unlike um, the what's you know our governments have been trying to do, where oh we're going to end greenhouse emissions by five percent in fifty years, and <laughs> just shit that's not going to work. Um, just example, one of their demands is uh, zero net zero greenhouse gas em- gas emissions by twenty twenty five, and what they highly promote is direct action, um, and that has a range of things, and they they accommodate whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, so there's people in the group who, you know, just share information as much as they can, get flyers out there, start websites, start podcasts, start blogs um, to discuss the issues. If you're a little bit more hardcore than that, they have people who are protesting. So me and my brother have gone to a couple of protests. Um, basically, they target politicians and then corporations uh, that are most responsible. And then if you're even more hardcore than that, they have direct action. So people literally you know, tying themselves to trees, destroying pipelines, things like that. Um, and that's really what it's going to take because all these companies understand is profit. Um, and they're not, it's not going to slow down. Um, in preparing for this podcast, I read a uh, study that was showing, um, it was uh, from, it, the study was done in 2015, but they found um, over the next decades, fossil fuel companies had already funded $2 trillion in investment on what they plan to expand their basically producing oil. So they're not slowing down. Even though we want it, they're not slowing down. So we have to start taking action. Um, Extinction Rebellion is everywhere. Um, Everyone I worked with there is just awesome, just has, you know, good heart, uh, good intentions. Um, So I'll definitely share and hopefully, uh, you know, get that out to people and hopefully more people join because this is a an all hands on deck situation. Yeah, and and I think these are things that, you know, regular citizens can do to advocate and fight. It's not about as I mentioned earlier saving the planet. It's about really a selfish reason to save ourselves and our the future generations that will be here if you want to live in a fair and just world. And there's a just way to advocate for um, you know, to balance out population growth. And the, the the biggest thing to do is advocate internationally for for women's women's rights and girls' rights. Um, it's not only you know um, the just thing to do, but it's the right thing to do um, because if if those folks, if those you know, imagine those women and girls thriving and, and educating, what positive things they can bring to the world. Um, we could have future Nobel scientists, um, people who can solve some of the greatest problems we're facing and half the species not being able or having equal access to education and, and opportunity you cut off half the you know population from being a part of the solution so that's it's a simple thing and that we can all do to advocate uh for that and, and not laugh in the face and be like oh they'll never do that because that country's so backwards we're all human beings we're all part of the same human race if i got dropped in the middle of afghanistan or kazakhstan or Spain and didn't know the language there, my brain would adapt. And after a few months, if I was just immersed in that culture, I would be able to converse with people. 
because at the end of the day, fundamentally, we are all human. We're all the same. We all need the earth to, you know, the earth needs us. We need the earth. But the earth, all you know, the, the earth doesn't. The earth need doesn't us. need we us. Need we, we, let me rephrase <laughs> yeah. that. We need the earth. The earth doesn't need us. So, as George Carlin said, the planet is fine. The people are fucked, and I don't want to be fucked anymore. And I want to do something to stop that. And I've done little things in my life by being conscious about what I, you know, buy and what I produce. And with COVID, you know, we're not driving as much as we used to. And even when I was driving, I wasn't driving. I, I only drive for like work things, but for the most part, if I could go to the office on the public transportation, I would take the public transportation. In fact, we bought our house close to the public transportation. That's where we can do that. So little things that we can do in our life to make that um, possible, little changes, but also holding these corporations and politicians feet to the fire and being like, we care about climate change. We want to do something. And there's a positive story is, um, Brian, you probably remember this too, um, I'm a little bit older than you, but I'm pretty sure you remember the, the ozone layer, the hole in the ozone layer. Oh, yep. And it was going to be a, the old hole in the ozone layer was going to, you know, grow, grow until it covers the entire earth. And we were all going to get like UV radiation and get cancer and die. And through a, a concrete effort, through, you know, activism, science, policy, all these different things coming together because it's never just one solution. It's many people working together of different fields, different backgrounds. And right now, the hole in the ozone layer is, you know, basically is not a non-factor because we, we ban certain chemicals being used in aerosol sprays and we created these different treaties. So it's not impossible because I know some people will probably listen like we can't do it's so impossible. The odds are so against us. We can't change these greedy corporations. We can't change. And it was it took the work of so many different countless people who will never know the name of who are pretty probably fucking awesome. Probably really cool. Probably people I want to have a beer with. And some of those people are still alive because, you know, we're talking about 30 years ago when this was a big issue. So if we can do that, we can we can definitely combat climate change. And, and when and it's not and if you want to think about it for my libertarian people and Republican people who are, who might be listening to us do it for a selfish reason do it because you don't want to be on an earth where people are fighting and having war over water because that war will eventually come to your doorstep or you will be fighting over water yourself and you don't want to end up like Alex Jones being like I'll eat my neighbors I'll eat my the world's gonna end I'll eat my neighbors I got daughters I'll eat them don't be don't be like Alice Jones. We can prevent all that. We don't, I know Mad Max looks like a cool movie. They got the guitar with the fire in it. You got Omarosa, <laughs> Immortal and Joe, who is Donald Trump 2.0. Um, cool movie, but I don't want to live in that world. And it's probably not going to be as cool as that. It's probably going to suck. The movies <laughs> yeah, make everything look cooler. Even though... You know, this is a huge issue. This is this is a problem we made, but it's a problem we can fix if we work together. And no, no, every small, you know, even if it's a small change, it makes a huge impact eventually. Um, so yeah, just do what you got to do, make little changes. Um, and I know we always like to end on a quote. Um, Solar Night, you got one on the topic? Yes, I do. So I brought up Carl Sagan quite a lot on this podcast. Uh, I'll probably bring him up some more because I think he was a pretty awesome dude. Um, but I would like to quote, leave the quote, um, what do you call it? The pale blue dot. 
Um, and it was inspired by the image taken by Voyager 1 in February of 1990. And it kind of showed um, the Voyager 1 that made its orbit around Saturn and it took a picture at Earth. And Earth is there, a little pixel, a little bright blue pixel. You can't even see it. And it kind of, he looked at that and he kind of had this aha moment. And this is a quote. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and our suffering. Thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines. Every hunter, forger, every hero, every coward, every creator, and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, every hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in the sunbeam. The earth is very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in the glory and triumph they could become momentary masters of a faction of the a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited upon by habit inhabit the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of on some other corner, how frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how favored their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the illusion that we have, some privileged position in the universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely split in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The earth is the only world so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of our of the folly of human conceits than the distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. It's a uh, super powerful speech, and we'll definitely share the link uh, to it on there because it's just awesome. It is. Um, it, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps because um I, I've read it many times before, but like just reading it out loud is just he sums up everything right there. It's it's beautiful and humbling. And just seeing the picture uh, that he was looking at when he thought of that, and just seeing how the Earth is just you know a fraction of a dot just sitting out there suspended in space. It's powerful. Yeah. Um. So, and then the quote I wanted to bring to the table, um, 
It's by uh, Gaylord Nelson, who has the unfortunate meet the parents name. <laughs> um, but he was a cool dude who was an envi- environmental conservationist um, and actually was elected to office in Wisconsin and did a lot of good environmental work there. Um, but he said, uh, the ultimate test of a man's consciousness may be his willingness to sacrifice something today for future generations whose words of thanks he will never will never be heard. Um, so, you know, it's everything good in, in our life that we have is because people before us did good things. Um, so let's think about that with future generations. Um, so I want to uh, thank Lornette. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Q Culture, Q-U-E-C-U-L-T-U-R-E, and Q Culture one on Facebook. Um, we highly encourage our listeners to ask questions, start a civil debate, and provide topic suggestions for future episodes. Um, and then uh, don't forget to check out, we uh, provide links to documentaries, books, and all the articles we mentioned on each episode. Um, So thanks again for listening, and remember to question everything. Any views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian and Lornette and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian and Lornette may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.